and I'm glad each one of you are here. And we are in Numbers today. In fact, uh, we're going to be looking at Numbers chapter uh, 22, starting with verse 1, if you want to turn there. Numbers 22, starting with verse 1. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your word, because your word is truth. Your word is able to instruct us, to guide us, to encourage us. And Lord, your word is the beginning from the, from the end and the end from the beginning. And I pray, Father, that as we study this portion this morning, it would encourage us to walk more closely with you, to not be distracted by the things of the world, but to have our focus clearly on the God of all creation. And so, Father, I pray and, and beg for your blessing and anointing that what I might share with these, your people, would be not only your truth, but something that they would be able to apply to their hearts and lives. So anointing use me, I pray in Christ Jesus' name, amen and amen. And we want to keep our uh, friend Dan Webb in prayer. We'll pray for him too. Uh, some of you might not know, but he had a, a five and a half hour surgery this week and intestinal surgery for hernia. And uh, I just got a text from him this morning, and he's doing fine, but he's in a lot of pain, so let's pray for him. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for Dan Webb, and we pray, Father, that you would bless and encourage him and just bring him peace and uh, total healing. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. I think when you're in a hospital like that, it's almost worse being a doctor or an RN. <laughs> You know, because you kind of know what's going on. Anyway, um, you know, when I was working on the teaching this morning, this is all about Balaam and Balak, and I was thinking um, of the fact that this is a really important study because it encourages us to recognize what is important in life. You know, here's the bottom line. This, this is going to sound very simplistic, but this is the bottom line. We're born... And we die. Barring the rapture, that is the course of every single person's life. We're born and we die. Well, then, why did God create us? What's the purpose of our life? To worship him. He desires to pour out goodness and grace upon us. He desires to pour out all of his gifts upon us that we might have a joy that is beyond anything this world has to offer. And you know, one of the things that's interesting is you can study all the books you want. I think of the books that I studied in grade school, the books I studied in high school, the, you know, the books in, you know, that I studied when I was in the Army, the books I studied in graduate school and, and postgraduate school and all that kind of stuff. Nothing compares to this book. This is the most amazing book you'll ever read. When you're looking for purpose and reason for life, it's found here. And the fact of the matter is, God causes each one of us to take different roads and directions in life. That's his purpose. But nevertheless, whatever road or direction we're taking in life, he needs to be the center. He needs to be glorified in it all. And uh, this account that we're going to be looking at of uh, Balaam and Balak, it is a strong warning to every believer against compromise. And we have to understand compromise often is just simply excuse-making and rebellion. Now, it's interesting, in chapters 22 through 25, Pastor Frank Jr. will be picking up in the second service. As a matter of fact, he, you know, when I do the preaching schedule, I always try to shift it so I get the best parts. But um, anyway, Pastor Frank has the, has the um, best part 
today. But anyway, in chapters 22 through 25, it's all, all about Balaam. And many people might be surprised to hear this. There is more in Scripture about Balaam than there is Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, or any of the apostles. Isn't that amazing? In fact, um, in Micah chapter 6, verse 5, this is what it says, what it tells the people of Israel. Not to forget the lesson of Balak and Balaam. I mean, that's what's written in Micah, not to forget this lesson. And so the lesson we're going to be learning today is of great importance for every believer. And we know nothing about Balaam except what we have written here. As far as his personal life and, and you know, it tells us where he's from, that's it. Now, there have been a lot of speculations. As a matter of fact, you can read books on where Balaam came from, and, and, you know, some say he was a lost priest, and some say he was this and he was that. The fact of the matter is, the only thing we know is what it's telling us here. That's it. He's a very interesting character. And I think it's a very dangerous thing for us to go beyond what is written. In fact, the Scripture tells us not to go beyond what is written. And Balaam, in all the books that have been read about him, is a perfect example of how we, as mere human beings, we always want to have an answer. We always have to have an answer. And uh, I can remember someone very dear to me years ago, um, close as a wife even, and uh, said to me, you want to know something? You always seem to want to have an answer. And I do. When someone asks me a question, I always want to have an answer. But sometimes I don't. And so I just try to give the best answer. But sometimes the best answer is just a plain wrong answer, and it's just made up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so this is an example where we have to just take what it tells us in Scripture and not try to add anything to it. Don't add or subtract to the Word of God. Now, what's going on here is uh, Balak, he saw what the Israelites had done to the Amorites. We're going to find it tells us in this portion. And he was terrified what would happen to his nation. So Balak, king of Moab, he decided to collude with his neighbor and ancestral relatives, the Midianites, to unite in defeating Israel. Now, the thing that's interesting is that they know, I mean, you think about it, they knew that they had no chance in defeating Israel. They saw what Israel did to the Amorites and so forth. So they wanted to go a different method. They wanted to have the Israelites curse. Isn't that interesting? They knew that they couldn't defeat them, even combined as two nations. And so they wanted to have them curse. And so we find that at first, when they go to Balaam, uh, Balaam refused Balak. He said, no, I can't go against what the Lord has shown me to do. But as often happens, sometimes people are willing to sell their convictions for a price. And one of the things that's interesting is we read this portion in Numbers, there is nothing that tells us about Balaam going against the Lord. But there's other portions of Scripture that makes, makes it very clear he totally went against the Lord and he totally compromised his relationship with God. But anyway, um, this account is such a wonderful example of God's sovereignty over all things. 
And plans made by even the most powerful men will not prosper against the Lord. We have to understand that. In Proverbs 19.21, it says, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. So no matter how many plans a person has in their heart, it's only the Lord's counsel, only the Lord's word that's going to stand in the end. And we have to understand, for you and I, all that is happening in the world today is not outside of God's knowledge and will. In fact, what we're, we are facing was even prophesied and is a sign of the times in which we're living. In other words, the Lord isn't up in heaven and saying, oh, what's happening in America? What's happening in the world? Oh, what am I going to do? I'm... The Lord already prophesied. He knew this was going to happen because just like naughty children, the Lord has given mankind their will that some might come to know that they need him in order to bring any reason and any purpose to their lives. But there are many others that are just going to go the way of Balaam, who taught Balak how to sin. And so God, of course, is preparing you and I as believers for that day when he's going to come back for his church. And I can assure you, brothers and sisters, according to the word of God, his return is near. Maybe a lot nearer than we think. Now, the violence that we see happening in the world, the violence committed against George Floyd and the resulting civil violence is a testimony of the fact that this world lies in the hands of the wicked one. You have to realize that everything that we see going on in the world and all the discord and all the violence and all the misunderstanding, it really isn't uh, a question of a disagreement between different nationalities and different ethnic groups and different peoples and stuff like that. It is a battle of good and evil. We have to remember who the prince of this world is. Satan. Satan's hand is at work throughout the world. His whole desire is to create anarchy and discord and violence and death. That's what he desires to do. But God has given a promise that all those that reach out to him will have eternal life. And no matter what is going on around them, they'll have peace. We have to realize that just because we're a believer, it doesn't mean we'll never have problems and everything in our personal little realm will be wonderful and peaceful. That's not true. I mean, you read Fox's Book of Martyrs and you read about 36 million believers that were put to death because they wouldn't believe in the Mass. You read about the other millions of people that were put to death because they would not turn their back on Christ. So you can't say, oh, they just had a great life. No, they didn't. They, they suffered and were tortured and sometimes whole families together. But the fact is, if we could only get it into our heads that this life is not about this life. This life is about the life to come. One day, every single one of us will stand before our Lord God and Maker. It is appointed unto every man once to die and then judgment. But those that don't make the choice for Christ, we find in Scripture, die twice. We die physically once, but then we are brought to new life in Jesus Christ. And so we have to realize that we're going to stand before our Lord. And are we going to say, I trusted you through everything? Or are we going to say, well, you know, I was... 
See, we're going to, as we continue into the study, we're going to find that the sin of Balaam was that he taught Balak how to entice the children of Israel to sin. He couldn't curse them, but he could entice the children of Israel to fall into sin that would bring God's, you know, judgment on them. That's what he did. Now, in 2 Thessalonians, if you want to turn there, chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 7 through 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. These are portions of Scripture that are telling us about the times in which we're living. It's telling us about the things that we need to be looking for at the time Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. And you'll see how this all ties into this portion in a moment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. For the mystery of lawlessness, that's Satan, is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so, and, and that's talking about the Holy Spirit that is within us and, with, and in the world, and do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, that, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit leaves. During the tribulation, many people are brought to faith, and you're only saved by the Holy Spirit. But right now, the Holy Spirit restrains all the evil. So if we think this, this world is bad now, can you imagine when he stops restraining? And then the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Listen to this. The coming of the lawless one is in, accord to the, is in according to the working of Satan with all, all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all the unrighteous deception among those who are perishing, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved." Look at the delusion that's going on in the world today. People think, well, if we just have this or if we just have that, we're going to have peace and have joy and have happiness. None of it brings peace. None of it brings joy. None of it brings happiness. Maybe some very temporary pleasure, but pleasure is very fleeting because as soon as the incident is over with, the pleasure has gone. Now turn to Matthew chapter 24. And picking up with verse 6, Matthew 24, picking up with verse 6. Matthew 24, verse 6, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So it's not telling us that there won't be wars and rumors of wars. It's telling us we're not to be upset about it. These are going to happen. Verse 7, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilence. Let me ask you this. With everything that's going on, how many of us know about the, the locust pestilence? In Iran, they are expecting 25 million people to face famine. It's the largest locust infection that they have seen in 100 years. Or swarming. You know, it's going through the Middle East. It's gone through Africa, now going through the Middle East. How many even know about it? Because we're so caught up in these other things. And yet, that's prophesied. And earthquakes in various places. And um, we, have, we have so many earthquake swarms that are going on, even in Yellowstone Park. And there's been very serious earthquakes over 5.0 that have taken place all over the world. But so many other things are going on, we don't even pay attention to it. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And then in Revelation chapter 6... If you want to go there, in verses 3 through 6, 
The seals of the book of Revelation are all about man's history. But as man's history comes to the end, those seals will become more and more intense in the world. In Revelation chapter 6, starting with verse 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. Look at what we're having now. I mean, all these riotings and so forth that are taking place in the United States, if you've been watching the news, now they're all over the world. It's the incident here, and now it's all over the world. And uh, that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hands. And um, I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a Daenerys, and a, and a quart of barley uh, um, for a Daenerys, and do not harm the oil of the wine. It's talking about inflation. It's talking about the price of goods going way up. But the thing we have to understand is this. You and I are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. That's what his word says. Balaam, we're going to find, was a man who heard from God. In fact, Balaam even calls the Lord his God, my God. He was a man who, who heard from God, but he was willing to sell his gift for a price. Here's what it tells us about uh, Balaam in Joshua 13.22. The children of Israel also killed with the sore sword Balaam, the son of Peor, Beor, the soothsayer among whom were killed by them. And then in Revelation to the letter to the church of Pergamos, Jesus wrote this, but I have a few things against you because you have uh, there those who, um, who hold to the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual adultery. Unbelievable. Immorality. Now we're in our portion. Numbers, chapter 21. So you have the children of Israel. They're getting ready to, they're coming right to the border where they're going to move into the land God had promised them. And uh, as we read this portion, we're going to find that the children of Israel were a mass group. There were over 2 million people. You know, so many times when you see movies like the Ten Command Commandments, which I love, you know, you see the Israelites, and it's like, you know, a 1,000 people or something. It was a huge, huge group of people, probably a larger population than any other group of people on the earth at that time. And we've, we uh, can kind of see it as we look in this portion. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all the Israelites had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, now, this company will look up everything around us as an ox looks up grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of Moabites at the time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pithor, 
which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse the people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know to whom you bless is blessed and to whom you curse is cursed. So Balaam had a reputation. People knew if he blessed someone, they'd be blessed. If he cursed them, they'd be cursed. So it's amazing when you realize the kind of reputation that he had. Verse 7, so the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed, from the divi- uh, departed with the diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam, and they spoke to him the word of Balak. And he said to them, lodge here tonight, and I will re- bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So, the, prom, so the, the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning, and he said to the princes of Balak, go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose, and they went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balak again sent princes, more numerous and more honorable than they, And they came to Balaam, and they said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for for I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come, curse this people for me. Then Balaam answered, and he said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond what the Lord my God. Isn't that interesting? with the Lord my God, uh, the word of the Lord my God to do. Um, could not go beyond what the Lord my God to do, less or more. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I may know what, the, uh, what more the Lord might say to me. Right there, you see, he's starting to compromise. He should have just said, hey, I've already, I already made myself clear. I can't, the, the Lord said no. I'm not to go with you, and I'm not to curse these people. Why don't you take off? But he's starting to come. Well, why don't you stay? I think he's thinking, maybe the Lord will change his mind. And so um, in verse 20, And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do, that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and he went uh, with the princes of Moab. Now, just to have a historical background, Balak was the king of Moab. And the Moabites were the result of an incestuous, incestuous relationship between Lot and his oldest daughter. And when we read that portion in Genesis 19, if you take notes, Genesis 19, verses 36 through 37, we know the whole deal of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his family left, his wife turned into a pillar of salt, and he went with his daughters, and his daughters said, oh, you know, we're not going to ever have a husband and this and that, and so they got their father drunk, and his oldest daughter 
um, had a son, and they named him Moab, and he was the king of the Moabites. And um, so the Moabites were the enemies of Israel during their entire existence in the Promised Land. And even during the time of the judges, Eglon, king of Moab, he oppressed all of Israel. And we might remember it was Ehud. Remember the left-handed man? He went in and he assassinated the king of Moab. And he was one of the judges, became one of the judges. Now, here's the interesting thing. Ruth, okay, we all know the story of Ruth. It's a beautiful story in the Bible, beautiful account. Um, Ruth was a direct ancestor of Jesus Christ. She was the great grandmother of David, and she was a Moabite. You know what that says to us? Even a Moabite can turn to God. Even the Moabites among us can turn to God. Even if we have the heart of a Moabite, we can turn to God. God turns no one away. He's no respecter of persons. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a beautiful promise. Now, the Midianites, who went along with Moab, were the descendants of Midian. And Midians, the Midians were the son of Abraham by his wife Keturah. We find that in Scripture also. So both kings who desired to hire Balaam to curse Israel were descendants from Abraham and Lot. Remember, Lot was Abraham's nephew. So even those from the same Family can be your enemy. <laughs> Maybe some of you found that out. But anyway, that's just a joke. Um, but those who turn to strange doctrines can do more harm to a church than an unbeliever. And that's the reason, as believers, we have to be so careful. When there's strange doctrines that are being brought into the church, or you have these teachings that are out there on, on video or on TV and, and, and YouTube and all this, and people, wow, you know, that can do more harm than an unbeliever because believers can be taken in by some of these strange doctrines, and we can't let that happen. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So as I said, there's nothing in the portion that we just read that tells us you know, that Balaam had a, uh, you know, a plan. But he did. He had a plan. He couldn't curse Israel, but he could teach Balak how to cause Israel to sin, which brings God's disfavor and judgment. As a matter of fact, the Israelites were held up for seven years because of this fall that they had. And um, so there's no question that the people of Moab and Midian were terrified, and that's why they went to this extreme. And I don't think there's anything that can cause us to make wrong, de wrong decisions greater than fear. Satan loves to use fear against us. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it can be politically, it can be socially, it can be physically. In any way he can, Satan loves to use fear against us because when we're frightened, we do things we wouldn't normally do. And, um, you know, we know from this portion of Scripture that God used fear among, you know, the, the Moabites and uh, the Midianites. But we have to realize 
that the greatest fear any human being should be concerned about is standing before a righteous God without being covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest fear anyone should have. And that's the reason we have so many martyrs throughout the year, years that have gone through terrible torture because they knew that they belonged to Jesus Christ and the worst thing that could possibly happen to them wasn't being put to death or tortured even, but to stand before God without being covered by the blood of Christ. You know, a lot of people think that all this martyrdom only took place in the past, you know, during Fox's Book of Martyrs. And um, what's the name of that magazine by about martyrs? Voice of the Martyrs. You can get Voice of the Martyrs magazine. You can go online and look at their website. Do you know that there are Christians that are killed every day around the world for their faith? I mean, you have one of the greatest uh, increases of Christianity in the Middle East is in Iran. But those churches have to be underground, and when those people are found, they get their heads cut off. And so we have to understand that the love of God is the greatest treasure that we have, greater than anything. Because our life, our physical life, is temporary. But our eternal life is eternal. So the decision that we make is either to stand for the Lord or to stand for our fears. Now, we know from this portion that Balaam heard personally from God. Balaam heard personally from God and had a reputation of being able to bless and curse. That's amazing. He heard, God spoke to him. We just read it. And yet, Balak desired to use Balaam in order to bring cursing upon the Israelites. And obviously, he wasn't able to do it by getting Balaam to curse Israel, but then he used Balaam to give him advice of how to cause the people of Israel to fall to sin. And that's just what they did. The Midianites and the Moabites, you know what they did? I'm not trying to be funny or anything like that, but they sent their good-looking women in. And you had the Israelites that were joining up with them. And it brought a curse upon the tribe of Israel. It's amazing. And um, so God's gifts are never for sale, but only for his purpose. Balaam spoke what was correct, when he gave the message that God had given him. But, and I think this is a big but, but I believe he said it like a child saying, my father won't let me go. When a child says to his friend, my father won't let me go, what's he really saying? I want to go, but my father won't let me go. And I think that's what he was saying at this point. And uh, there seems to be a contradiction here, but if you look closely, we're going to find something very interesting. The Lord already told Balaam not to go and not to curse the people. But we find from Second Peter uh, and also from Jude that Balaam wanted the money, and that's why he did go. I mean, when the second group came to him, he should have said, get lost, the Lord's already spoken to me. Instead, he said, stay. And the Lord knew his heart, so he said, okay, you want to go? You can go. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, it says, He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, 
for he is not a man that he should change his mind. And so the question is then, why did God let him go? Well, I think it was God's will to test the children of Israel. They were coming to the border of the promised land. They were getting ready to go and inhabit the land God had prepared for them. And so he was giving them one last test. And this test ended up bringing judgment on the people. And as we continue on, we're going to find the account of it. But every time people are judged and even receive the discipline of God, if they learn from it, they grow stronger. Do not despise the discipline of the Lord, Scripture says. And so every time we fall and we end up getting, you know, having God's judgment come upon us and we confess and repent, we learn from it and we grow stronger. And um, so as we see here, Balaam spoke what was correct, but in his heart he desired this world over God. And that's what we have to be careful that we don't do. Now, there's, the thing we have to understand is this. Like Israel, remember Israel said, oh, we're tired of this manna. We're sick of this manna. Manna, which, by the way, in Hebrew means what is it? That's why they went out and they said, what is it? They were saying manna, manna. But God brought this manna. We don't even know what it is. I mean, if we ever found the Ark of the Covenant, there's supposed to be a jar of it in there. But this manna was perfect. It gave every nutritional need that the body had. And it even tasted good, it tells us. And so here are the children of Israel starving in the desert, and every night God is pouring down all the food that they need, and they'd go out and collect it, and they'd eat, and they, they were even making it into all kinds of different dishes, and they weren't satisfied. We want meat. We need meat. And remember, God sent quail, and while it was still between their teeth, he brought judgment. Well, why? Because God was teaching them a lesson. I gave you everything you needed. And you're asking for more, and I'm going to give it to you, but you're going to see the judgment of it. And so we have to understand, God has given us what we have, everything we need. And that's why as people, we need to be content. Contentment with godliness is great gain. With whatever the Lord has given us. The Lord gives some people more in this life, some people less. The Lord gives great health to some people and, and illness and frailty to others. Whatever God has given us, thank you, Jesus, I have it because my goal and my purpose is not this life but the life to come. And one day I'm going to be with you. Because understand this, brothers and sisters, if you haven't read my book, you need to get it, you need to read it. Because I bring out the point that a lot of people are blind to because of wrong teaching that has been given. And if you read the book, you're going to find I'm not adding or putting any crazy thoughts in there. I'm just pointing out what the book of Revelation actually says, word for word. Because here's the point. When Jesus Christ comes, we think the world's in turmoil now. When Jesus Christ comes and takes his church out of the world, right after that, his wrath is poured out. You know, some people have taught, well, for the first three and a half years, the Antichrist has peace and everything seems to be going on as, as usual. Does that sound familiar? But then halfway through the tribulation, then everything starts falling apart for the Antichrist and all these crazy things happen. Wrong. Right after the church is raptured, God's wrath is poured out. 
this earth is going to go through a paradigm shift. We think we were going through one now that it has never seen. It's going to be horrific. And if you read the book of Revelation closely, you find that the Antichrist doesn't actually come into his power as the Antichrist until halfway through. It tells us right there. It's in the Word. But we have to understand that we are destined for glory. And I believe that we're sitting on the very precipice of the cliff. And God is ready to call us home to be with him. I don't know when. I don't know if it's today. I don't know if it's tomorrow. I don't know if it's next week or next year. I don't know. But everything that the Bible tells us to watch for is happening. You know, Jen's an a OBGYN doctor, and, and you know when a woman calls you up and says, um, I'm having contractions, and they're so many minutes apart, and then, you know, Jen's going to say, you need to get to the hospital. You don't say, well, maybe they'll go away. <laughs> you know, when, when things start happening and they get more and more intense, you know it's time for delivery. Well, the thing is, when we see the world getting more and more intense, we know it's time for the rapture for our delivery out of this world. And that's the reason, as believers, our greatest responsibility right now is to share our faith. You know why? Because even if people don't believe right now, we, we share our heart with people, and they might even just say, I don't care, I don't want to hear any of that. But when the rapture occurs, they're going to be thinking about it. Because as I have shared before, Scripture, I believe, the book of Revelation teaches that one of the greatest revivals the world has ever seen will be after the rapture. There will be so many Christians in the, in, on the earth that they're going to have to develop a method of numbering them to find out you know, who they are to put them to death. And why do they want to put them to death? Because Christians, even during the tribulation, are ruining the plans of the Antichrist because people are getting saved. So here we are. Crazy times, right? I mean, I'm old enough to remember... Uh, I was 10 years old when the polio epidemic came, and I remember that. I remember going to getting the gamma globulin shot. That was before the salt vaccine. And um, anyway, and movie theaters were closed, and swimming pools were closed, and all that kind of thing. And you know what? It passed over. And, and most people, there were iron lungs, braces back then. And we, most people of today, they don't even know anything about it. It just passed over. But every time something like this happens, it becomes stranger and stranger. And this is the strangest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Strangest thing. Worldwide. Brothers and sisters, this is my last encouragement to you. Lift up your head for your redemption is drawing near. Father, we come before you in Christ Jesus' name, thanking you for your love and for all the promises in your word. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you might encourage us to stand strong in you and with you and to use this as opportunity to share our faith with the lost. Whether they receive it now, maybe they'll receive it later. But Lord, help us to be faithful in sharing our faith. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends.